Welcome again to the Urantia Revelation Podcast. I'm Jim Watkins. Always good to have you. And I thank you so much for not only taking time out of your precious day to enjoy some of my thoughts about the Urantia Revelation, but also for sharing it and sharing it with friends who are on that spiritual journey and are looking for that beacon of hope. Because I'm telling you, you look around the world today and it gets harder and harder to see those glimmers of hope. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer on this, but uh, no doubt we have a lot of challenges facing us. Uh, I hope to have some time. I want to share some some uh, quotes from Rodan of Alexandria from the Arantia book, if we have time at the end of this podcast. Uh, I was reading through Rodan. He was the the philosopher, the Greek philosopher, who really... was captivated by Jesus when Jesus was publicly preaching. And he went so far as to travel to to meet with Jesus. Uh, And Jesus didn't meet with him right away. Uh, Instead, he had his two apostles, Nathaniel and Thomas, entertain him. And the Arantia Revelation uh, took notes and they gave us that narration of some of the ideas and thoughts. And it doesn't happen often. I mean, it's in the middle of the life and teachings of Jesus. So it's interesting that they pluck this one individual who, to my knowledge, has no place in history, in history at all. He's not mentioned in Scripture, I don't believe, Rodan. But the revelators obviously thought that what Rodan had to say was important enough to put into the revelation. So if there's time, I want to explore that a little bit. And if we don't do it in this podcast, we may even dedicate an entire podcast to some of these statements, because what Rodan talks about more than anything is the complexity of living and how people have to adapt. And as society becomes more complex, the art of living becomes more difficult to attain. And then the consequences of what happens when people don't adapt to the complexities of life. And a lot of this we're seeing today in our own, in our own world, no doubt. Um, so Rodin of Alexandria, I believe it's paper 160. So we'll try to get to that. But I, I want to I spend a little bit of time, just a little bit of time, sort of closing out more details on what we talked about a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about the second coming, uh, not just of Jesus, but a magisterial mission of a divine or evonal son from paradise, which, according to the Urantia Revelation, is destined to happen. So we will, not possibly in our lifetime, but you never know, in a few generations, and, and a big part of me believes that the Urantia Revelation is specific to that event. In other words, I, I, I believe that the Arantia Revelation was given to us as a preparatory document to prepare us for that future bestowal, or at least it prepares us for the return of Christ. Either way, we're going to get another visitation from a divine being, and Jesus did promise to return. So I went through the Arantia Revelation and I pulled together a couple of paragraphs that sort of explain and go further into what this second coming of a bestowal son involves. So I want to run through them because they're very interesting and they go into a little bit more detail uh, about what what is going to transpire at some future point. And you're not going to hear this, I don't think, anywhere else. I don't think another podcast anywhere will talk about what I'm about to share with you. 
this is like revelation uh, of the finest degree. So let me share with you some of the, the passages that string together what we can expect in the second coming. So below are specific quotes from the Arantia book about when and why we can expect a bestowal visit, whether it be Jesus or another divine son. Avonals, A-V-O-N-A-L-S, Avonals, are the paradise sons of service and bestowal to the individual planets of the local universes, including our own. So from paper 20, section 2, paragraph 4, it reads, In addition to their services on the higher administrative levels, the Avonals have a threefold function on the inhabited worlds. Number one, judicial actions. They act at the close of a planetary dispensation. In time, scores, hundreds of such missions may be executed on each individual world, and they may go to the same or to other worlds, times without number, as dispensation terminators, liberators of the sleeping survivors. What we know is a resurrection. So it's these judicial actions where the Avonos come and, and instigate the resurrection of all those who have passed since the last bestowal son or the last dispensation. Just to give you some frame of reference, when Jesus resurrected, there was a resurrection of the sleeping survivors, and it's mentioned in the Bible. Number two, their second purpose of having bestowal missions, a planetary visitation of this type usually occurs prior to the arrival of a bestowal son. On such a mission, an avonal appears as an adult of the realm by a technique of incarnation not involving mortal birth. Subsequent to the first and usual magisterial visit, avonals may repeatedly serve in a magisterial capacity on the same planet, both before and after the appearance of a bestowal son. On these additional magisterial missions, an avonal may or may not appear in material and visible form, but none of them will be born into the world as a helpless babe, as we saw that Jesus did when he bestowed himself. In some ways, Melchizedek, if you are familiar with Machavinta, who taught Abraham, was acting as a preparer for the bestowal son, Jesus. Through his, his mission was considered emergency status and not a dispensational or judicial bestowal. And it also did not mark a period of dispensation. So in Machavinta Melchizedek came and he spent something like 90 years setting up these Salem missionaries and teaching Abraham and getting him to, to be the leader of what became the Hebrew religion. Uh, he did not have himself the ability to call on a resurrection. Number three, the bestowal missions. The Avonal sons do all at least once bestow themselves upon some mortal race on some evolutionary world. Judicial visits are numerous. Magisterial missions may be plural, but on each planet there appears but one bestowal son. Bestowal Avonals are born of a woman as Michael of Nebadon was incarnated on Urantia, as we had with Jesus. Now, the difference is, is that had Jesus not come, had Jesus not uh, chose our world for his final seventh bestowal, as we're told, then we would have been visited by an Avonal son to serve the same purpose. 
So there's three reasons we would be entitled to an appearance of a divine bestowal son. Judicial action, which ends and begins a dispensational period, a magisterial mission, which is probably what we'll have on our next divine visitation. And then the third, bestowal missions, where they come and they stay, and they're actually born. They have their first bestowal as, as a babe, and they gain the experience of living as a human, just as Jesus did. Uh, so all of this, really what it means is that the next bestowal son will not be born of a woman. We've had that experience. Christ uh, bestowed himself upon humanity. Quote, even when a planet is blessed with repeated magisterial missions, the Avonals do not always submit to mortal incarnation. And when they do serve in the likeness of mortal flesh, they always appear as adult beings of the realm. They are not born of women. And this is from paper 20, section 4, paragraph 4. Urantia has never been host to an Avonal son on a magisterial mission. Had Urantia followed the general plan, of inhabited worlds, it would have been blessed with a magisterial mission some, sometime between the days of Adam and the bestowal of Christ Michael. Adam himself was not a bestowal son. He was a material son, he and Eve, and they were sent here as biological and spiritual uplifters back in, what, 40,000 years ago. And they do not hail from paradise. Adam and Eve hail from Edentia. They are material sons and daughters. In paper 20, section 4, paragraph 5, it reads, Urantia may yet be visited by an avonal commission to incarnate on a magisterial mission, but regarding the future appearance of paradise sons, not even the angels in heaven know the time or manner of such visitations. For a Michael bestowal world becomes the individual and personal ward of a master son, and as such, is wholly subject to his own plans and rulings. And with your world, this is further complicated by Michael's promise to return. Regardless of the misunderstandings about the Arantia sojourn of Michael of Nebadon, one thing is certain. He has promised to come back to your world. In view of this prospect, only time can reveal the future order of the visitations of the Paradise Sons of God on Arantia. So what they're saying here is because Jesus chose our world, it sort of throws off the normal order of things. We will eventually be visited by an avonal son, the bestowal son of paradise order, uh, but we don't know if it will come before or after Jesus's next uh, second coming. And I have stated that I think one thing that I've learned about Jesus is he doesn't like to upset the natural order of things in the sense that he likes to let God's will play out. So even though he is going to come back, I believe that what he said was true, which was, when all eyes can see me, I will return. And so until every eye on this world understands the true purpose of Jesus' life and his mission, I think when that happens, that's when Jesus will come back. And in the meantime, I expect that there will be bestowal sons that will come and raise us, get our, get our thinking straight. In fact, let's talk about that for a little bit. From paper 35, we learn that these avonals do not come alone. Quote, 
When one of his paradise brothers and a vonal son enters upon a bestowal, he is accompanied by a Melchizedek supporter, or supporters, twelve in number, who so efficiently contribute to the success of the bestowal mission. They also support the paradise of Onals on magisterial missions to the inhabited worlds, and in these assignments, the Melchizedeks are visible to mortal eyes if the Avonal Son is also thus manifest. So if an Avonal Son comes and he is accompanied by a commission of 12 Melchizedeks, we will see that as well. Uh, The timing as to when we expect these visitations to occur, from paper 52, section 4, when an evolutionary world becomes thus ripe for the magisterial age, one of the high order of Evonal sons makes his appearance on a magisterial mission. The planetary prince and the material sons are of local universe origin. The magisterial son hails from paradise. End quote. And also this from paper 52, section 5, about how society needs to be prepared. When a certain standard of intellectual and spiritual development is attained on an inhabited world, a paradise bestowal son always arrives. On normal worlds, he does not appear in the flesh until the races have ascended to the highest level of intellectual development and ethical attainment. When the worlds have become, quote, ripe for spiritualization, the bestowal son arrives. That's also a quote from paper 52. Also, it says the bestowal son arrives on a world of high educational culture and encounters a race spiritually trained and prepared to assimilate advanced teachings and to appreciate the bestowal mission. This is an age characterized by the worldwide pursuit of moral culture and spiritual truth. So again, there's three statements where they say we have to be prepared. When a certain standard of intellectual and spiritual development is attained, when the world had become ripe for spiritualization, and then also, and encounters a race spiritually trained and prepared to assimilate advanced teachings and to appreciate the bestowal mission. So in other words, the next bestowal will not come until we are prepared to receive the bestowal, because if a son shows up and a bestowal mission occurs and we aren't prepared, we aren't going to have any idea, nor will we be able to appreciate We'll be actually quite frightened, I believe. How long do they stay? They may live on for generations. In those cases where they remain as rulers on certain planets, when their missions are concluded, they yield up their planetary lives and return to their former status of divine sonship. End quote. From paper 52, section 5. If such a bestowal of Onal should return to a world after the bestowal mission, he would not incarnate, but would come in glory and with seraphic hosts. That's actually a quote from Scripture. Uh, from uh, paper 52, the post-bestowal sun age may extend from 10,000 to 100,000 years. There is no arbitrary time allotted to any of these dispensational eras. This is a time of great ethical and spiritual progress. Under the spiritual influence of these ages, human characters or human character undergoes tremendous transformations and experiences phenomenal development. It becomes possible to put the golden rule into practical operation. The teachings of Jesus are really applicable to a mortal world. End quote. It's from paper 52. So how do we prepare? 
How does our society today achieve the level of spiritual and intellectual depth so that we would be afforded a bestowal son? And they tell us how we'd be prepared in the closing segment of paper 52. And it reads, While Jesus has shown the way to the immediate attainment of spiritual brotherhood, the realization of social brotherhood on your world depends much on the achievement of the following personal transformations and planetary adjustments. And I've taken their points and I've sort of condensed them a little bit. So they say the first thing is social fraternity, multiplication of international and interracial social contacts and fraternal associations through travel, commerce, and competitive play. There must occur an exchange of national and racial literature. Each race must become familiar with thoughts with the thoughts of all races. Each nation must know the feelings of all nations. Ignorance breeds suspicion, and suspicion is incompatible with the essential attitude of sympathy and love. The revelators tell us that ethical awakening must also occur. Only ethical consciousness can unmask the immorality of human intolerance and the sinfulness of fratricidal strife. Then there's political wisdom. Wise statesmen will sometime work for the welfare of humanity even while they strive to promote the interest of their national or racial groups. Selfish political sagacity is ultimately suicidal, destructive of all those enduring qualities which ensure planetary group survival. They say spiritual insight is key. The brotherhood of man is, after all, predicated on the recognition of the fatherhood of God. The quickest way to realize the brotherhood of man on Urantia is to affect the spiritual transformation of present-day humanity. Mutual understanding and fraternal love are transcendent civilizers and mighty factors in the worldwide realization of the brotherhood of man. You know, I can't think of any other religion that actually speaks to these things. Can you? I mean, the Urantia book is basically telling us ethical awakening, political wisdom, spiritual insight. These are the ways to spiritize humanity so that we would be better prepared to receive a divine son. So the Urantia book, at least to me, is a seed for a future harvest. The world may not be ready for it today, but its truth and the way that we live those truths in our lives eventually will lead to spiritual advancement. I have no no doubt that will happen. How long it takes really depends on us. I also believe that much of this will come from real leadership. We have a real leadership in our world, a deficit of real leadership. You know, perhaps if our leaders would adopt more of the Jesusonian practice of living, our world would improve quite quickly. I believe that to be true. I would mail the Arantia book, just part four of the Arantia book, to every political leader. We can do that now with a letter up front that says, read, learn, and lead. I'd like to get this in the book in Xi Jinping's hand. Say, man, you want to have a society that really adores you for the right reasons, take a look at this. I'd, I'd give this book, you know, I heard that Hillary Clinton 
What do you did, did you hear that? Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton had a copy of the Arantia book in the White House. I, I just wish they had read it. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, maybe somebody knows something about that relationship. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, we're not going to have time for the Rodan of Alexandria, but that's just going to be a tease on my part because what I'm going to do is do the Rodan of Alexandria in the next podcast, which I hope will entice you to join me. And, of course, you can always reach me at yourrangibookradio at gmail.com. And I'll say it again. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to share the revelation with me on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Uh, please join me online as well, urantiaradio.net. And I'll leave you with one of my favorite songs called The Music Must Change by The Who. And we'll see you next time. God bless. Deep in the back of my mind is an unrealized sound. Every feeling I get from the street says it soon could be found. When I hear the cold lies of the pusher, I know it exists. It's confirmed in the eyes of the kids emphasized with their fists. But the high has to rise from below. That volcano's explode through the snow. The mosquito sting brings a dream, but the poison's deranged. Mm, the music must change for which you wing a bone. We soared like the spiral hawk fly, then we dropped like a stone. Like the tide in the waves, growing slowly in range. Crushing mountains as old as the earth. Change, change. But is this song so different?